Final seconds of the game. A chance to score and the chance has gone begging. If your business's commerce platform keeps missing the target on golden opportunities, get the MVP you deserve. Get Shopify. <laughs> Shopify is the commerce platform revolutionizing millions of businesses worldwide. Whether you're a garage entrepreneur or IPO ready, Shopify is the only tool that you need to start, run, and grow your business without the struggle. Shopify puts you in control of every sales channel. So whether you're selling signed football boots from Shopify's in-person POS system or you're vending vintage shirts on Shopify's all-in-one e-commerce platform, you are covered. And once you've reached your audience, Shopify has the internet's best converting checkout to help you turn them from browsers to buyers. What I love about Shopify is how, no matter how big you want to grow, Shopify gives you everything you need to take control and take your business to the next level. Shopify powers 10% of all e-commerce in the US. And Shopify is truly a global force, powering Allbirds, Rothy's, and Brooklinen, and millions of other entrepreneurs of every size across over 170 countries. Plus, Shopify's award-winning help is there to support your success every step of the way. This is Possibility, powered by Shopify. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash ranks, all lowercase. Go to shopify.com forward slash ranks to take your business to the next level today. That's shopify.com slash ranks. Looking for a fun way to win 25 times your money this football and basketball season? Test your skills on Prize Picks, the most exciting way to play daily fantasy sports. Just select two or more players, pick more or less on their projection for a wide variety of stats, and place your entry. It's as easy as that. If you have the skills, you can turn $10 into $250 with just a few taps. Easy gameplay, quick withdrawals, and injury insurance on your picks are what make Prize Picks the number one daily fantasy sports app. Ready to test your skills? Join the Prize Picks community of more than 7 million players who have already signed up. Right now, Prize Picks will match your first deposit up to $100. Just visit prizepicks.com/play100 and use code play100. That's code play100 at prizepicks.com/play100 for a first deposit match up to $100. Prize Picks, daily fantasy sports made easy. Hello, this is international football commentator Derek Ray, and you're listening to the Ranks FC podcast. Rank squad and welcome to Ranks FC. It's your favorite football podcast back for the 200th time on this feed. Big 200 for Ranks FC. Three years into this project, we have hit the big 200 on the free feed. It's all very exciting. My name is Jack Collins and I'll be your host as ever today. And joining us to celebrate this magnificent occasion. It's the return of the rank gone, Mr. Sam Tai. How you doing, mate? Very well, mate. Thank Ooh. you. I, 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 I want to say that this was all planned by us, <laughs> but <No. laughs> it definitely wasn't. We agreed that I would come back on on this spot, what, like four weeks ago? And then yesterday you were like, oh, crap, 200. So, you know, fate. Should we just, should we just chalk it up to fate? Things were meant to we be? Chalk it down to destiny. Give, give this one to the, the fates of, of Mount Olympus and over the best. And of course, our transfer guru, Mr. Dean Jones. How you doing, mate? I'm good, mate. But I need to just remind you to go and check my Ranks FC contract. You will discover that after 200 appearances, I do get a pay rise. <laughs> uh, <laughs> it's, so... it would, that would be great if you'd made 200 appearances in these 200 shows. But I think <laughs> I think that there are probably a few few episodes left for you to uh, to actually damn, hit that pay rise. Damn. There you go, mate. You can't, uh, you can't have it all. You can't have it all. It's good to have the squad back together. And we're going to go very traditional in terms of what we're doing today. We're going to start with things we love. Sam's bringing a main ranking in the second segment. And we're going to finish with a gibberish as well. Going old school to celebrate 200. So, are, Dean, do you want to kick us off with things we love? Yeah. Make sure you'll get into that gibberish because I've... Yeah, I've Came up with something a bit on the fly last night that I think is going to be fun. Anyway, the thing I love, 
is the hope and fear the Premier League is striking into every club in the country right now. <laughs> Everyone, down to Chelsea in 10th, is chasing a European dream. And, like, it's quite tangible. Chelsea, like, arguable, but, like, they're kind of expecting that, that they should reach Europe. Champions League, ideally. Everyone below that is basically in a relegation battle. I think Brentford might be the only team in the division that might just be able to sit through this season comfortably. Everyone else is fighting something. And Everton's points deduction has actually also got us wondering what the future holds for like Man City, Chelsea. Everyone's on edge with something to fight for this season. It's quite extraordinary. Um, We've got no one that's nailed on to win the league as it stands. Yeah, eight teams, I'd say, ready to fight for the top five, which will probably be the Champions League places. Um, There's definitely six teams in the relegation fight, but potentially also Fulham or Palace or Wolves. Um, And it could all turn around so quickly. And I don't think that there's a better example of that than what's going on at Man United right now. The team that have been in, in crisis mode, right? They're six points off top spot. Man United are six points off being top of the Premier League right now. So you go back to the 8th of November. They just lost 4-3 to Copenhagen. Ten Hag was being talked about as being on the verge of potentially losing his job. Here we are 20 days later. He's manager of the most informed team in the Premier League. They haven't conceded a goal for a month. Uh, Garnacho has just scored the goal of the decade. Uh, Andre Onana has more Premier League clean sheets than anyone else. 18-year-old Manu has come in and he's been spoken about the best midfielder since Brian Robson, basically, to wear a Man United shirt. Luke Shaw's come back into the team and suddenly they've got a completely different feel and vibe about them. And maybe even he's the guy that can unlock Hoyland when he comes back in. He'll finally score a Premier League goal. Anthony Martial actually had a good game the other day and scored a goal. And yeah, there's six points off the top of the league. This is hope for everybody in that bottom half of the table that they can get out of that bottom half and everyone that's chasing those European spots that they might actually make it. And maybe those three teams that potentially could win the league that they might be able to topple Manchester City. Man United play Galatasaray. I have to mention this before they lose that game on Wednesday. <laughs> I have to mention that Man United, the wheels could fall off as quickly as they've put them on here and it could all be gone by the end of this week. But Galatasaray, Newcastle, Chelsea, all on the horizon. And Man United fans are starting to wonder if they've turned a corner. And before I finish here, let's just quickly look at what the opposite version of this is, because that's Tottenham Hotspur. Ten games, absolutely amazing. People are saying, could this actually be a title emergence? Or is this just a good start to the season? Well, it's three defeats in a row. They've got Man City away at the weekend, so that'll be four defeats in a row. They've got about 12 players potentially unavailable for that game. They're still playing well. The fans actually still seem to be really happy when they're at the matches, and they're coming out there thinking, we didn't deserve to just lose to Aston Villa. But they're also wondering, are we about to slide away and become anonymous again? Nobody really knows. Nobody understands what's happening. I love it when I get to do these really random rants at the start of podcasts. And today was the perfect example that I had to do that because everything is up in the air. Yeah, I've just, um, before joining you guys for a record, I've just been in TIFO doing a video on, you know, who is actually in the title race. And usually when you ask that question, you sort of start with a sample size of like, Four. One. Or, one. Well, yeah. Okay, so recently it's been one. Uh, last year it was two. At max, you're talking four. I had to start by doing what you've just done, Dean, and essentially ruling out Chelsea and Brentford because <laughs> they would need to get about 2.7 points per game from here to win the title. Um, the, just the, the top half of the table looks remarkable. In fact, the only gripe I've got with you, Dean, there is that you've ruled out Brentford at all because... They're on the same points as Chelsea. So why are you saying Chelsea are in it and Brentford aren't? Because Chelsea expect to be in it and Brentford don't. Mm. That's basically it. I don't think Chelsea or Brentford will actually make it, if I'm completely honest. No, it doesn't seem that way. I mean, Brentford are solidly mid-table. Chelsea, there are some people out there that will tell you that Chelsea are good. There are some people out there that will tell you that Chelsea are bad. Truth is always yeah. probably somewhere in the middle. Um, oh, yeah. but definitely can't score enough goals to actually maintain this. But yeah, the top half is, is absurd. The clustering. I'd say conceding four goals a game is unsustainable <laughs> as well, if that's what you've got in mind. <laughs> sure, but sure. it's true. Like, to double down on that, like, even then, even those teams, you know, Chelsea and Brentford, who are both on 16 points, 10th and 11th, are only a point above Wolves, Crystal Palace and Fulham. And 
you know, Fulham won last night against Wolves in relatively controversial circumstances. And without like being funny, Fulham being one point behind Chelsea and Brentford, when I don't think I've seen us play well once for a full game this season <laughs> is is truly remarkable considering what's been going on and how other clubs are seen. I think the difference between like where people are viewed and where they actually are in the table is quite striking at the moment. There are, you know, you talked about Man United there. They've been, you know, that win and this run of form have been impressive on paper, but very not impressive actually in, in the flesh. And yet mm. they are where they are. And there's only so much of this. And look, we talk about this about Juventus quite a lot, just to kind of you know, pull a comparison. We talk about the fact that Allegri ball is, is almost insufferable for quite a lot of the time. Like It's very, very difficult to watch. And Juve fans, like especially the Juve fans that have spoken to us on ranks and in the Patreon, are, are furious with what they're having to watch. But equally, they're two points off top in Serie A. And yeah. it's that kind of like difference and that dichotomy that diverges between... The, the actual points on the board and where a club look like they are in a table and what we're seeing on the pitch, I think have maybe never been starker than we're seeing right now. And that actually adds another element to all of this. It's making me laugh this week where people are referring to Man United as the form team of the Premier League. And it is true. Like <laughs> they're, they're, they're the only team in the league to have won their last three games. And they are the form team in the league in that they've taken 15 points from a possible 18. So over mm -hmm. a three-game stretch, they're perfect. And over six-game sample size, they are the best team in the league. But course, if you watch any of those games, apart games, from Everton... You've got, like, yeah. squeezing past Luton 1-0, Burnley 1-0. Yeah. Like, they're not good performances. So, yeah, Man United are a very, very, very funny conversation right now. I was listening to you guys on Monday talking about the Everton game and, like, they gave up over 2xG in a single game to Everton. The guys, and they oh, won 3-0. Yeah. I mean, Christ, you know, Garnacho helps. But it's just really hard to take stock of all of this, isn't it? Yeah, like, can they do that against Newcastle at the weekend? They can't give up those same, surely, the, the same opportunities in a game like that. But they'll also go to Newcastle thinking, well, they're in a bit of a injury crisis right now. Let's give it a go. Any other kids we can bed in? <laughs> what anyone else, else can we try? Anyone else going to turn this around for us? Yeah. All righty, let's move on with Sam. Got anything fun for us? I mean, look, guys, I'll make it a bit different, uh, but I'll make it honest. Uh, while I miss recording with you guys every week, obviously, um, I love being a listener. <laughs> I, love, I love sitting back. I was always sitting back, go to the gym on the Monday, listen to the postbox on Patreon, and then sitting back on the Wednesday and listening to the pod. Just, just making notes, you know, just making, making notes. One things we sometimes get wrong. Sometimes I send them to you, but yeah, sometimes <laughs> I keep them to myself. I've got a little, a little annual here that I'm working on. All the mistakes Dean makes. Can we sell it as merch? <laughs> yeah. All the factual errors. Um, all the times Jack mispronounces the word eligible. You know, all these things. Uh, it's yeah, just fun things. Um, and I'm really enjoying just uh, being part of it. I'm still part of the community on Discord, but I'm just enjoying listening and just getting the takes um, because it's really healthy to listen to as many smart people as you can. So I pay special attention when Dean speaks. And um, <laughs> it's great to have that experience. Honestly, you guys are, cr are cracking listen still. Um, and it's it's a pleasure to tune in. It just it just feels so different as a listener rather than a consistent contributor when you're listening back and actually in the conversation. It's It's hard to explain. But it's for now, at least, until I get super bored. I'm really enjoying being a listener of the pod. Fair play to you, mate, for for us still listening. Like, would I listen to you and Jack? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, thank oh, you, thanks, mate. That's very kind. That's very kind. Uh, I'm going to wrap us up with my favourite thing that's happened over the last couple of weeks, which is Sergio Ramos returning to full goblin mode. Now, Sergio Ramos had the most Sergio Ramos afternoon I've ever seen at the weekend. Real Sociedad beat his Sevilla 2-1. And in the 88th minute, Ramos was originally given a second yellow card for basically two-footing Bryce Mendes on the edge of the box. And Sergio Ramos was incensed with this decision. I'm not sure why, but Sergio Ramos was absolutely incensed. Anyway, he took the second yellow card. He was going mad at the referee. And he went to the referee and was like, no, 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 no. You need to go and have a look at this on the monitor. Now, I don't think the ref went and looked at the monitor because Sergio Ramos told him to. I think he was probably instructed to go and have a look at the monitor. So he did. He trotted over, had a look at it, came back onto the pitch and went, yellow card, 
cancelled. No yellow card. And Sergio Ramos is going to get away with it. Pulls a straight red out. (laughs) So Sergio Ramos managed to get sent off twice in the same game, which is truly stunning. But also managed to upgrade himself from a one-game ban to a three-game ban. And then got... God, Jesus Navas so obsessed and so so angry that Navas got sent off as well. <laughs> it was like the influence he's having on a normally very calm, very mature, very sensible <laughs> Jesus Navas um, and getting him sent off as well. So so both of them get red cards. Rakitic in the midst of all this is just giggling. All you can see is Ivan Rakitic in the back of the screen just laughing his head off. And it really, really did make me laugh. You add that to the fact that he was the one that went and presented Shakira with her Latin Grammys award for her <laughs> diss track against Gerard Piquet. And these three months or three weeks or so have been just peak Goblin Ramos. <laughs> and it's made me incredibly happy. It makes me laugh so much. And him <laughs> managed to get himself upgraded from a one-game ban to a three-game ban is potentially the most Sergio Ramos thing that's ever occurred on the entire planet. And I thought it would be disingenuous not to bring it up on the podcast because I was looking at it and I got the double notification from LiveScore. You know, it's like red card, red card. And I, I screenshotted it and I, put, I tweeted it being like, even for Ramos, this seems extreme. <laughs> and, then, and then the actual reality of the situation was even madder than the idea that that had just been gotten wrong. So, yeah, I, I really, really enjoyed it. It made me laugh. It helped that Sevilla obviously lost. But As I say, shock. On the cuff. Shock. You thought it was funny that Sevilla capitulated and lost. Yeah, yeah. but it, was, it wasn't even that. It was just the fact that it was happened in this kind of style. The fact that, that Ramos managed to outdo himself. Was it 29th red card of his career, I believe? That means he's been banned for almost two full seasons of his career in terms of league wow. games. But this, this man is is a law unto himself in so many ways. Brilliant. Look at the glee in your face if you've said all that. <laughs> yeah. Really is a thing I you love. Stop laughing. Like it really really was one of those moments I couldn't stop laughing. All right. With that, we're gonna pull things we love to an end. After the break, Sam's gonna be leading us in a ranking of the best centre backs in the world. Cannot wait for this one. Don't go anywhere. Welcome back to Ranks FC, and it gives me great pleasure to hand the floor to the rank god, Mr. Samtai. Yeah, it doesn't give me great pleasure to take <laughs> the spotlight here because I came up with an idea, pitched it to you. You guys said, that sounds good. I went down to do it and realized I'd set myself up for failure. This was one of the most <laughs> difficult things. Maybe I'm just like, am I rusty? You know, just, I just I just haven't put together enough rankings recently and, you know. Mm. Need some WD-40 on the old ranking gear. Yeah, I should, maybe yeah. should have played a game for the ranks under under 21s first to get some match <laughs> fitness uh, in place before I took on such a job. But You could have hung around with Dylan and Reese for a day. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, here I am and I've, I've tried to rank the top five centre-backs in world football. Uh, always a good debate, I think. People are always interested in this one, and it's it's difficult yeah. for a reason. It's because it's interesting, which is a good start. Jack, I'll tell you now, you're going to hate this. Dean, I think you'll be all right with it. That's 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 <laughs> that's my prediction. But I'm going to start at number five, as is tradition, and this is where I'm going to put Kim Min Jae of Bayern Munich. Mm. Okay. Who's I'm going to I'm going to start with a hat tip to head coach Harry Brooks, who wanted him to sign for Spurs. All the way back in 2020. Wow. I And I checked this because I remember Harry talking about him a while ago. This was when he was playing in China. He hadn't even moved to Fenerbahce at this point. How had Harry Brooks seen I him? I don't know, but the tweets are there. You've got the receipts. They, he's, you know, wow. They're all there. And from, that is impressive. From 2020 through now to the end of 23, he has moved over from K-League over to Beijing and then over to Fenerbahce and then to Napoli and then to Bayern Munich. He's reached the very top of the game in the space of three years from like an almost impossible starting point. How many players go K-League and CSL into the leading lights of this kind of scenario in the space of three years? It's absolutely amazing. Um, but when you watch him, obviously, you're, you're not surprised. Uh, he's super strong mm. and super fast and ticks just a lot of the sort of modern game boxes for a for a defender. Uh, his recovery defending is absolutely amazing. And I definitely underappreciated how quick, how like genuinely how fast he was last season when he was playing for Napoli. Cause I've seen him playing that super high line for Bayern and um, good Lord. Can this man pick up the yards? It's, it's absolutely incredible. But um, 
He's also clearly a leader at the back, super durable, like barely misses a game. He's comfortable on the ball. I have a slight issue, guys. I'm going I'm to try with these guys because I'm, you know, we're talking about really good players. I'm going to try and pick out something that isn't perfect about them as we go. It is quite challenging at times. Kim's passing can be a little bit janky at times. Just, just sort of hits them either behind the player or, 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 or too fast into their feet. So like not into their path or, or makes it hard for them mm. to take that first touch and move it out of their feet. But it's not a massive problem. I just see it come up every now and then. Unfortunately, he's not perfect, but. For him to go into this Bayern team and, you know, he's now forcing De Ligt and Upamecano to share duties. Like, Upamecano, like, he's having, to, he's having to really work for this role. De Ligt, an 80 million euro signing himself, is not guaranteed a spot. This is, this is quite a serious impact to have on a team like this. And it certainly mm. speaks to his quality. And I, I've got to the point now where I think he has to be considered in the top five. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, I mean, I, it's that competition for places that, that just baffles me. Like when you look at that Bayern squad, I know that they've been tested a lot this season already uh, in terms of numbers and uh, in midfield and defence. But Kim Minier is just always there, isn't he? And it's like going to be a real test of, of him this season to the endurance test, really, because Bayern are actually in a proper title challenge this season, it looks like, anyway, if Bayer Leverkusen can really maintain this. And they've got to keep what's good about them good at Bayern, and and that's going to be Kim, isn't it? When you're kind of analysing this, I was trying to kind of pull up some some bits and bobs from, from last year, and I think that whilst Napoli have only conceded four more goals this season than they had at this point last season, I think the difference that we've seen that's been really drastic has been in the Champions League. Napoli was so dominant in the group stages of the Champions League last year. And this year we've seen a real kind of fall off in terms of that and just their ability to know that everything was in hand at the back. Now, obviously, Spalletti's absence has played a part in this as well. But Kim was really the only player who you went, oh, they're going to really miss him this season in terms of the the players that departed and the one big change in terms of personnel from last season. Now, it would be foolish, I think, to say that Rudy Garcia hadn't had an influence and that it wasn't you know open to, to actually looking at that and thinking the way that Napoli play is slightly different. But that dominance in a tricky group, I thought, last year in the Champions League where they picked up their biggest ever away win against an albeit, you know, slightly on the decline Ajax. They were really impressive against Liverpool. This season's been very different in that regard. And I think that from being kind of a team that I thought were unlucky not to reach the final and actually had fate played a, did them a different hand in terms of injuries, maybe would have got there. To go to a team that you're now going, do you see Napoli getting past the quarterfinals? I think the answer is probably no. And Kim's influence on where they stand in terms of, you know, everyone has their own little ranking of where everybody sits in Europe and what the, you know, what the power plays are. That's the difference. And that's why Napoli have slid down that list for me, because they don't seem so secure and comfortable. And so much of that is to do with his absence. Yeah, I think something we'll probably end up discussing or focusing quite a lot here with these players is that Kim has this, he has this ability or this this aura of a like a bit of a sort of cheat code safety valve player. So like if he's if he's on the halfway line and you, you're pushed up and he's prowling, most balls in behind aren't going to hurt you. Most balls up top aren't going to hurt you. It's not going to lose his jewels. He can recover into the channels. He's really far. He can deal with quite a lot of stuff, right? He just sweeps up around the back and you know that nine out of ten attacks against you will not amount to anything. Puts out fire. Yeah. Right? So Napoli no longer have that player. Bayern have that player. I mean, Upamecano should be that player, but he's just not. Um, he's too mistake prone to be relied upon as that player. But Kim is is not mistake prone at all. He doesn't make mistakes. So that is a quality that is quite prevalent in my list. And when you're talking about the best players at this position in the world right now, really a good way to think about it is like, are they a safety blanket in terms of like, can they actually just single-handedly dismantle like nine out of 10 attacks against your team? And if they are, if you see a player and you think he is that player, he's probably deserving of a spot in this list. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. It seems like a nice place to take it on to number four. Yeah, another another player that I see in this mould, um, although it, this might cause a bit of a stir um, because he has more to prove in terms of where he's reached, you know, the, the competitions and stages he's reached. But I put William Saliba at four. Ooh. I think Saliba 
is just stunning these days. Just stunning. And he's one of those players that when you evaluate him, you get that that really helpful hand of at the end of last season when he wasn't in the team, what did the team look like? So sort of what we've just been talking about with Napoli there, with Kim, without Kim. Arsenal without Saliba, the back end of that team completely and utterly fell out. And I, I know that part of that discussion revolves around the drop-off from Saliba to yeah. holding. And it's not all about how good Saliba is, but it's a pretty big part of it. Like Arsenal this season have been defensively almost flawless. They are the best defence in the league from goals goals conceded to underlying numbers. Saliba, I think, is a huge part of this. He is that player that on the halfway line, you will not win a duel against him. He had this early game this season against Man City where he basically went shoulder to shoulder with Erling Haaland and, and did a job, held him to zero shots and Arsenal held City to, to, to nil. I mean, you've got to take note of this stuff. And then beyond that, Saliba's sort of short range passing and, and sort of progressive passing is really, really good. Again, we'll try and point out a short uh, point out a shortcoming. He's not a dominant aerial defender, although he's not weak. He's just okay. And he doesn't have a beautiful long range switch pass. You know, he doesn't have that 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 crisp change of play that some of the other players that we will talk about do have. But in terms of like when the ball's on the floor, he wins it. Like you are not getting past him. His uh his speed, his his power, his reading of the game, it's 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 awesome. He's an awesome player. I know that some people want to see him play the on the highest stage before putting him in this pantheon, but I'm ready. Like I I don't think I should hold that against him. Maybe I already have by only putting him fourth. There's probably an Arsenal fan yeah. out there saying, oh, yeah. he's too low. You know, but there's someone else going, well, he's proved nothing. You know, he's only played four Champions League games, which is also true. Yeah, it's, it's, it's double, double-edged sword, isn't it? Because every level that he's had, he's stepped up to mm-hmm. so far. Yeah. We haven't seen all that much of him at the, in the Champions League, obviously, but we have seen him play the majority of a Premier League season with Arsenal going toe-to-toe with City, who won the treble as title contenders and we've seen him play against that city side now numerous times i just think he keeps growing and that's the thing isn't it it's about the way that arsenal adapted and and maybe this goes on to a broader point but actually what we saw from arsenal last year was heaps of fun but also at times you're you're looking and going okay that's not how you build a long-term sustainable title defense against the city side of this quality what Arsenal have done this year, whilst they've not been as fluid, whilst they've not been as kind of exciting and, and, and kind of golden in attack, the defence is suddenly their strongest point. And Saliba is the heart of that defence. And actually, I do think that if you are going to go toe-to-toe with City and come out on top, in the way that Liverpool did a few years back, actually, it's about how many you keep out as much as, as how many you put in. Because if Arsenal can keep clean sheets three out of every four games then suddenly you're looking at a team that don't need all that much to continually pick up those three points that keep the machine rolling, that keep the cogs turning. And Saliba, for me, feels like the element of this that is least replaceable right now. Yeah. I mean, it's really clever the way that Arsenal managed this too because they obviously signed him and he was going out on loan. And yeah, there was one stage where I, I remember there was like genuine concern, like is Saliba actually going to fit into what Arteta is going to build here at Arsenal? And there was talk about um, where he would fit in, what opportunities would he get? And then obviously he came into the team and he grew from there. But there was definitely at one stage some uncertainty, whether in Arteta's mind, I don't know, but there was there was certainly plenty of column inches around it and whether he would actually become a mainstay in this Arsenal team. And here we are. Um, when did he... What? year and a half later <laughs> and you can't imagine the team without him like that's how good he's been he's 22 years old um he's been an Arsenal player for what three and a half years now but not really he's really only been at on our radars properly in the Premier League now for not even 18 months and he's he's just great to watch isn't he like you say like he's not complete like he's not complete but he's 22 and that's fine yeah yeah I, I just it, you're right he's so new to us still like there was a so last preseason, Arsenal played Sevilla and Saliba like got got the nod, like, right, here's your chance. And I remember that preseason game, the Arsenal fans coming out of it like, oh my God, 
he's unbelievable. Why have, why have we let him be away for the last two years? But that was actually very important as well, <laughs> those minutes. Yeah, they, they were very important. Yeah, he got he got loads of experience. And look, I mean, he ended up, you know, he went to online to Marseille and I think he was he was in the Europa League or the Conference League. I can't remember which one it was, but they got to the semifinals. Um, again, that's that's deep European experience. Okay, it's not quite Champions League, but like he's he's lived a few lives already, this guy. He's already had to come back from a from an injury that taught us all how important he is. He looks in fine fettle this season. He's he's one of those players that is a little bit difficult to rate because this 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 sort of twenty percent of my brain is like he should be higher, and then the other part of it is like, well, wait until we get to the guys ahead of him because I actually think it might be a little bit disrespectful at this point to put Saliba above the three that I have ranked above him. Okay. Yeah, I I think that's fair. I think that the expectation and the hype around him is is so big that it becomes difficult to drown out the noise sometimes with Saliba because he has been so good and we haven't really seen anything to suggest that he won't go on to be one of the, you know, best defenders in the world and be on this podium at some point. But there is also a body of work that you have to accept and, and analyze as well. And I, I do think that's fair. Yeah, absolutely. And and there are players with a, with just a, simply a, a bigger body of work and a more consistent body of work. Uh, and in at three is one of those players. It's Ruben Diaz, who I thought, I genuinely thought, well, first of all, I hate talking about him because I got him dead wrong uh, coming out of Benfica. <laughs> so like, every time I have to talk about Ruben Diaz, it reminds me of my own failures. Um, but also like, he's nowhere near as fun right to watch as William Saliba like Saliba like he's really smooth and the way he like nicks the ball off off strikers in the channel and then dribbles around them again like just takes the piss out of them like Diaz doesn't do any of that but the old adage with regards to centre-backs and defenders is about not making mistakes is about being consistent about always being there and Ruben Diaz is always there he always plays well apart from that literally that one game the other day against Chelsea where he was pretty poor but that was like the first game in two years that he hasn't played well and he he also was asked to be into midfield yeah, so yeah. So, slightly strange yeah. yeah we'll give him we'll give him a pass on that one maybe not his fault um but also clearly a really important player in terms of galvanizing others and leading the line and again one of the old things we say about center backs is that they should be leaders they should be very vocal and Ruben Diaz I think is a perfect example of someone who elevates the others in the line just by simply being there and guiding them so you have to give yourself some considerations here, like how important is leadership and organizational skill when you compare it to what Saliba does to people. Um, but Diaz has got this incredible body of work here, years and years now at the very top level, playing for one of the best defenses, the best team in the world. And mm. I just felt like he had to go in here at, at, at worst three. Um, and if you want to talk about weaknesses, well, there really aren't very many, but he is surprisingly he's not that strong in the air considering like i don't know what he looks he, as a youth player he, he looks like he should yeah be. <laughs> I, I just, what a stupid thing to say but i completely agree and i just try not to say that but that's he looks a bit more sort of he's grown his hair now but as he, when he came through at the youth league he looked quite brutish he was a skinhead and he was a physically dominant player and he actually doesn't win a ridiculous amount of aerials and doesn't overpower people in the air in the way that you possibly would expect him to. He's probably an underrated passer and an overrated physical presence. But again, as is often the case, it's somewhere in the middle is, is Ruben Diaz. He's been so good. And I think that there were question marks when he came into this city side from lots of us. And <laughs> yes, you you were you you were one of them. But also I think there were definitely some 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 more question marks than people now look back and give credit for. You know, he he had been good at Benfica but it was a lot of money and we kind of were like where does this fit into the way that Pep wants to play and the way that this defense has adapted through the years now you know we talk about that Chelsea game and talk about the fact that him stepping into midfield in a way that someone like John Stones does didn't work in the way that maybe Pep had expected and actually they've had to reshuffle the pack to allow Diaz to remain as the kind of cornerstone of the three that don't step into midfield. And that's fine because actually what he does bring to the table from a defensive point of view is so strong and, and he's so considered back there that it basically allowed for Pep to start to, you know, utilize these different formations to actually experiment with pushing players further forward. Diaz has been the cornerstone of the kind of defensive hub that has you know, it's, it's basically gone, right, Pep, do you want in front of me? Because when, mm. when peers, people come through and players come through, 
I will put out the fires. Yeah, it's and a nice way of going putting back it that. to that phrase. It's a nice way of putting it. But he has it. sort of facilitate the whole thing. Yeah. In that Pep knows that he can rely on this centre back, you know, being the guy and being the rock. He's the rock in many ways on which Pep has built this <gasps> church. There you go. Um, I don't. I, I didn't want to say it. The uh, I didn't want to say it, but I, but I have said the it. last player you said um, that about was Delict. Chris, well, Chris Smalling as well, <laughs> Roman. So it was um, some very important names being thrown around in this list. But he has allowed Pep to, to, to utilize this formation, and his presence in it is perhaps sometimes undervalued because he is not the player that steps out. But actually, he probably facilitates all of that, and I think that that's important to notice. Yeah, definitely. Um, yeah, he's just got a, a way about him, hasn't he, Ruben Diaz? And he seems to just his character off the pitch. He seems. Um, I've seen him at times give interviews and he'll go into great detail uh, in an answer. And then other times he just, like, he just can't. He just, he'll, he'll just like not zone out, but he'll just give short answers and just doesn't want to be there. And you can clearly see that he's got other priorities on his mind in that, in that moment. I just think that like when it comes to football, he does the simple things that make him so good and like he will never go away from those traits and that's why he's become such a reliable figure for for Pep to turn to on, on so many occasions and we look at the City team and you do expect rotations and you, you know, they sign Gvardiol and you're like, is he really going to sign him and just play him at left back or is there going to be more rotating in, in the centre-half positions and where's John Stones going to be playing long-term? And you look at it and Ruben Dias, like nine times out of ten, is in that starting lineup. It's very rare, especially for a big game that Ruben Dias now would not be included in a Manchester City team. Uh, it just feels like he breeds positivity at, at Man City and for all the... Focus that always goes on Haaland and now Jeremy Doku and the the way that Man City are going to score goals. He is the kind of the unsung hero of why they don't concede him. Yeah, apart from those four against Chelsea. <laughs> <laughs> That's an anomaly. We'll call that an anomaly. We'll call that, we write that off, hall pass. All right, who's in at number two, Sam? Right, it gets really interesting here. Two, at two, I've got Virgil van Dijk. Oh, okay. Okay. So, cool. I was thinking about this. I was like, if you can't if, believe Harry Maguire's number uh, one, but carry crazy. on. Crazy. <laughs> um, if you asked a hundred people in England who is the best centre back in the world, what percentage do you think would just would say Virgil Van Dijk? Seventy. It's been ingrained in us by now. Yeah. It's that. It's an automatic answer. Yeah. Yeah. Despite the fact that obviously, like he had his he had his dip, um, his un- understandable dip, you know, post ACL. He did struggle a little bit coming back to fitness and form. It has taken him a bit of a about a year. I've seen I've seen a sentiment that kind of you know you've got the Arsenal fans all sort of pumping up William Saliba here as the best in the league, and then you can see on the other side of the fence like Liverpool fans are like, hey, if you haven't noticed, Virgil's looking like he's back to his best. Um, back to his best is a very strong statement because his best is 0.2% off a Ballon d'Or. So I probably wouldn't say back to his best, but he is he is creeping back up to an extremely high level. And he's got all of these things, all these parts of his game. Obviously, he's got the, the, the aside from one severe injury that wasn't his fault, the durability of someone like Ruben Diaz and, you know, the organizational skills. He's got that long switch pass that I want William Saliba to have. You know, actually, we, you were talking about Ramos earlier, Jack. Um, Ramos and Saliba played each other like a month ago and Ramos was raking these balls out left and right. And I, it really actually brought the comparison to life in, in what Saliba doesn't have in that respect. Van Dijk's got it. He doesn't show it as much anymore because they have to give the ball to Trent and he does it. But you know he does it. And he does one every now and then. You go, oh, that was a good pass. <laughs> that was exciting. Mm. Doesn't happen often enough, really, but it's still there. And so he's got every element. I, I don't know what the weakness is with, with Virgil. Um, I tried to come up with one. He's not the cheat code that he used to be. He's only 90% yeah. of a cheat code. That's, like, that's just such not a weakness. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> it's so unfair to call that a weakness. I know. But I agree with you. It's, it's very difficult to, to, you know, to pull one out. I mean, like there, there, there is so little so, lacking so Do you remember when, when players would like actively avoid running towards him? Yes. So that doesn't happen anymore. How's that for a yeah. weakness? Yeah, it's still not, not bad, <laughs> is it? But like, but, um, for it? but he's still pretty damn good. And I've still got him good enough to be second. 
Yeah, exactly. Second best centre back in the world isn't a bad place to be, I don't think. Unless it is Harry Maguire that's beating him, then he might have a problem with it. I've um, I've got a weakness. Well, not a weakness, but it's a it's a gripe with Virgil Van Dijk. Go on. And my gripe. Not his aftershave, is, is it? He's no longer allowed to take free kicks, and he hasn't been for ages. And I remember him scoring three absolute worldy free kicks for Celtic and being like, oh, my God, this bloke can absolutely hammer free kicks. And he went to Southampton and obviously James Ward-Prowse was there, so he didn't take any free kicks there. And then he went to Liverpool and they have Trent and Mo Salah. And there's lots of players who can strike a ball. I miss Virgil van Dijk taking free kicks. That's the biggest gripe I can give him. And to be honest, it's a very low-key one. So it's one of those. <laughs> but I would like to see it a bit more. You know, just the occasional... The Lewis oh, Dunk uh, uh, yeah, graduation. Because Dunk's just started, like, knuckleballing stuff, hasn't he? It's like out yeah. of nowhere. Yeah, but uh, that's, what I'd, that, that's what I'd like to see. That's the, the main thing in Virgil van Dijk's game I'd like to prove. But apart from that, yeah. yeah, I agree. It's, you know, it has been a little bit of a road back from that ACL. But I think that we're, we're now looking... And, and there was a moment, obviously, this season where Liverpool didn't play Virgil van Dijk. I think it was the, the Europa League game against Toulouse. And suddenly, the amount of shakiness at the back was sort of doubled. Mm. And you're like, oh, okay. The influence he still has on this side is remarkable. And we're talking about other very good defenders here. We're not talking about, you know, the, the drop-off being as, as, as drastic as it was for from Saliba to holding we're talking about players coming in who you know are very good Matip st- stood in for him who we know is an excellent defender even if he is coming slightly more to the tail end of his career and you're kind of going wow if that's the difference and this is a Toulouse side who whilst are very fun and, and good to watch in an attacking sense and Taitalinga had a really good game in that game there is that kind of sense that you're looking at it and going if Virgil van Dijk was on this pitch Liverpool just don't concede two of these three goals. And it's an impressive thing to kind of knuckle back on and be like, wow, that's an important moment to to remember. So you must be wondering how the hell this guy isn't first. Yeah, I am yeah. a bit I, I'm a <laughs> bit confused, I'll be honest. I, I wasn't sure where you were gonna go with this, but I didn't think I would have I didn't think you would have Virgil van Dijk at two. No, but you have figured out who number one is, right? Well, I'm 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 wondering I'm wondering if it's uh someone we go back to with the treble winners who might not be quite a centre back anymore. Mm, yeah, yeah, you're onto something there. I, I didn't I, I wasn't sure where to go with this one, but in the end I've decided to count him as a centre back and therefore I have put him first, John Stones. Um it might be disrespectful to call him a centre back. Is he more than that now? Has he has he has he evolved to be? He's not just you can't you can't give John Stones a position. He is just he's position fluid. He's John Stones. You know, it's that's it. The Barnsley Beckenbauer was a nickname people gave him as a bit of a joke. But like, yeah, bang on, <laughs> like bang <laughs> on, like. And Beckenbauer didn't necessarily have a position. He just kind of roamed, and this is ultimately where John Stones is now. But I decided to call him a centre-back because City, off the ball, do defend with a back four. And when Stones is playing, even when he's pushing to midfield, he is at centre-back. Like The alignment is that off the ball, he is centre-back. So I've decided to call him that. And with that in mind, I have to give him his respect. He is a genuinely absurd footballer now. Like We always feel this question, don't we? Like Could that centre-back move into midfield? And I almost always say no because the game comes at you from so many more angles. You know, it's not just everything's in front of you and and sprints in behind. It's people are trying to take the ball off you from 360 degrees. And I pretty much never back any centre-back to move into central midfield at the elite level and and perform. And John Stones has has done it. You know, he's just great at, at literally everything. And he's ultimately playing two positions at once and he's playing them to an elite level. You know, he's playing centre-back and central midfield for the best team in the world. He is a counter-pressing machine. He's stopping attacks. He is working the halfway line and recovering in the channel. He's got 70% aerial win rate. His progressive passing and his dribbling is better than almost everybody. And he's essentially like the tactical key, like the X factor that elevated City last year into that unbeatable mode that got them over the line, got them to the title and got them to the Champions League. So I decided to not count his hybrid role against him I decided to give it the the appraise that it genuinely deserves because what the guy is doing is frankly like I'm not sure I've seen anyone do it honestly 
I just, I just, I'm, I'm actually flabbergasted, and I just, I'm not sure anybody else could. He is a bit of a unicorn, isn't he? That is, that, that is the the way of it. Yeah. I, I slightly still disagree with this. I think that Virgil's last five years probably will count in his favour if I was doing this for you know where we are right now. But I do think that if you're counting stones as a centre back, and it, you're right it shouldn't be held against him that he's being asked to do more stuff. Yeah. That's, that's, that's true. I just wonder if actually, if you were like picking a center back for a world 11, would you pick Van Dyke ahead of stones if they weren't managed by Guardiola? Again, it's a different thing. I'm not holding it against him. He plays I have them City. both. They do. They conveniently play left they, and they right. They work together. <laughs> They'd work quite nicely <laughs> together. You're right. But I, I think I would probably have Virgil just above stones, but I absolutely can't fault your logic in putting him in here either. Yeah, it's funny. Like you think back, and in 2018, like there was there were reports around John uh, Stones potentially leaving Man City. Um, he'd had a bit of a, a hard time, and he'd, he'd lost his place. He'd had a hamstring injury, and he was trying to get back in the team. And you know they had obviously a strong squad at that point, and um, the rumours were going around quite a bit. And I've just dug out the quote actually while you were talking there to, to try and find what Pep said at the time because I remember he was just like. No. Uh, and he was basically like, I'm not going to comment on any transfer around him because it is just fake news. And he starts to explain why he's so good. He was like, look, John is not going to move. I don't know how long I will be here in Manchester, but as long as I am here, John Stones will be here. First of all, he's an, he's an effing amazing guy <laughs> and he's going to stay here with me. He is a joy to train and I just want to help him. Um, and he kind of talks about like his strengths and stuff and how he how he's getting better and the competition he faced at the time from like Americ Laporte and stuff and obviously they've had Otamendi and they've had all sorts of rotations and Vincent Company's been there and John Stones has come through it all and now he's got new competition for his spot and you know you even consider him on the international stage now of England I was just saying I can't remember what episode we were talking about it Jack but we did one recently and Oh, it was when I ranked England. It was when I ranked um, the favourites for the Euros, and I talked. I put England in at three, didn't I? And yeah, you know, everyone at the moment is ranking, and they're all putting England in at two. And I was like, the thing is, like, you take Kane out, you take Bellingham out, or you take John Stones out, and England are not going to win the Euros because those three people are irreplaceable, and then they really are, aren't they? And John Stones is is that important? And I honestly, I think a lot of people will probably be surprised. Not just that John Stones is one, but that John Stones is actually this good. Like, I think it's, I do think it's lost among, I say a more casual fan for sure, but I don't think if you went out in the streets and asked people who is the best centre-back in the world, any of them would say John Stones. Uh, maybe in Manchester, but not not in the general... No, but again, they might be, sort of what Jack was saying there, where they, they might be guilty is the wrong word but in air quotes guilty of looking at it in too much of a traditional sense so again like if yeah. you were to pick that world 11 like would you would you pick him so it's 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 he's a difficult one to place i mean we, first of all i had the debate of like does he belong in the list but then i decided that if he was in the list he had to be first but it kind of works both ways where like he's not doing what you expect a center back to do but i you know it, it's about whether or not that bothers you in this kind of construct or if it, if you're actually willing to sort of well, for me anyway give him the respect i think he deserves maybe people still haven't quite realized that what he is doing is genuinely not not repeatable by so many of the others that we talk about in this list like we yeah. know that you can't put ruben diaz into this position and 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 he can hold his water i don't think i don't think virgil necessarily has the agility to do this um i don't think you could put kim and jay in there and uh, Saliba, who knows? He's still very early into his career. But there were some other names, obviously, I, I considered and have had to leave as honourable mentions. And to be fair, there is actually one name on the honourable mentions that might be able to do this, but he didn't even make the top five. Well, what are the honourable mentions? Because it was about to be my next question, because there have been some very, very impressive defensive performances this season. Real Madrid have been very solid at the back. Um, obviously, we've seen Nice put together mm. one of the most remarkable defensive runs well, I've ever seen, yes. to be perfectly honest with you. It's absolutely stunning. There are a couple of Barcelona players here that, that might be a little bit aggrieved that they're not at least in the conversation. So there's 
there's some interest in there. Yeah, so the player that I was sort of alluding to there who who doesn't make the list but could you know, I think we know that he he can play this John Stones role or, or probably could is David Oliver. Um, who's obviously a massive part of this Real Madrid defence. He's very, very good. He's been amazing for a long time. He is a, he is a world-class player. I've left him just aside. And it's it's really hard. Like, you know, you sit there and you go, right, Alaba or Kim for fifth. Like, what are you picking between? You know, it's so difficult <laughs> sometimes. But I decided to leave Alaba aside, not specifically because his aerial stuff is a bit poor, because he's a converted left-back midfielder. But like, if you're being really picky, Alaba's not strong in the air, right? So like, sorry, mate. The stakes are through the roof on this one. I'm going to have to drop you to the side. Ronald Araujo, amazing. Me leaving him out is the reason I started this conversation, Jack, by saying you aren't going to like this. Yeah, um, well, that's fair. <laughs> but I think he's more he's, he's more error prone than anybody on this list, and he just needs yeah. a couple more seasons before we before maybe the 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 mental side of it catches up with the incredible physical side of it. Just experience. We've always talked about centre backs, you know, maturing and peaking at 28 he's got a long long way to go and then speaking of maturing and peaking um i know he had the worst game of his career at the weekend but just like tiago silva's been a sensational footballer for a very 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 long time and while he's not top five i need to at least say his name yeah i mean i i don't mind you leaving him out because i think that his powers are now declining and i think they're declining relatively rapidly as well and i think that we've seen that not just at the weekend where it was dreadful but also you know just across the course of this season we're starting to see chelsea fans and and channels discuss whether it's time to actually yep. go back to that monaco axis of de sassi and badishile i don't think you say that about anyone else on you know that you've alluded to here none of the other players that have been alluded to are being questioned about no. maybe it's time for them to be dropped. <laughs> so I think that leaving Thiago Silva is out is is a pretty reasonable. No, I just wanted to give right him now. his dues, man. Like to be to be going on that long, the longevity of this man's career is he just oh, yeah, like incredible. It just just he just needed a quick mention. Yeah, no, one hundred percent, one hundred percent. Um, very good, well done, good Thank work, you. It was, Dean. It was, it was Who's your number one? Good work. Harry Maguire. <laughs> <laughs> Mate, I'm only half joking. Harry Maguire is the best asset in, in FPL at the moment. <laughs> just, just, I've just done a show about this a minute ago. We were like laughing about how a few weeks ago we were looking at like wild cards and stuff in, in Fantasy Premier League. And I did mine. And I was like, do you know what? Harry Maguire is £4.2 million. He's playing every game. I'm getting him. I think he's gets, he gets me six points every week. <laughs> Keep up with that, John Stones. <laughs> Especially when you're injured. That's where you, that's where you lie in it. Um, I was a little bit surprised not to see Bastoni, at least in your honourable mention, Sam. Oh, man. It's just not really quite been his calendar year, has it? Or maybe this this season? I don't know. There's been Has there been something of a drop-off? I've just... A little bit, just but also Inter are very, very good they defensively. Are. They are. I'm not ready yet. I'm not ready yet. I don't know if that's just like 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 sub psychosis like subliminal like back three tax or or what like i don't know what it is but for yeah, whatever yeah. reason you get like an immediate reaction yes or no to these sorts of things and bastoni wasn't there okay his time right. will come with that yes he will he will i'm, I'm i guarantee you that and um, with that i think we should probably leave it there for the main segment but we've got a special gibberish in part three so don't go anywhere Welcome back to Ranks FC. And as we're running it back today, rewind the track. <laughs> That's the gibberish alarm. Oh my God, tears in my eyes. Chewy, tears we're in home. My eyes. Oh my days. This is an emotional roller coaster as we go back through the years here. Next, we'll be bringing out the roulette wheel. <laughs> Um, don't tell me spin. don't tell me <laughs> so it's 200 up lads 200 episodes of ranks and i thought well probably should do a gibberish based around that somehow and i thought well, what's been a theme of 200 episodes of ranks it's like well jack's produced every single one of them and he's put every single one of them out and genuinely we wouldn't have a podcast because me and sam did give it a crack a couple of times one time was the only time we've ever missed a podcast. Um, it just didn't record. Uh, not our fault, it was, was the that, software's no, that fault. That was Jack's fault, wasn't it? 
it, it was yeah, because he was on holiday fault. and he was still trying to produce. I still reduced it from reduced <laughs> it from Tuscany before I went to a wedding. <laughs> I was like, I'm afraid uh, this isn't going to work. I think that's on you. Other episodes, yeah, other episodes went out with just like no intro or anything. I think so. Anyway, so it's two hundred. I was like, okay, so we could do a gibberish based around Jack, but what can I do a gibberish on Jack? And I was like, last night we were walking down to Fulham, and as we were going getting there. I discovered something about Jack that I didn't really know. And I thought, well, this could be the basis of a ranking. Like things I've learned about Jack or I'm not even sure about Jack at the moment that I think we need to know. So I've put three things together about Jack that I think we all just need to have a little chat about just to end the show today and celebrate 200 shows of Jack. Um, and at three, this is what happened, Sam. Sorry, Jack, but, sorry before, get... before, Jack, are you feeling like you're in a safe space? Like... I, I hope so. I hope so. Let's see how it's we mostly go. Good. It sounds like it's a lot good. like an intervention. No, it's mostly good. But we were getting to Fulham last night, and me and Jack sit one block along from each other. We can see each other in our seats. And we're just going in with our season ticket, and Jack's suddenly like, oh, I'll see you later. I'll see you. Oh, where are you going, mate? We go in the same spot. And he goes, no, 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 I have to go in gate 41. You don't know, like that. This every single one of these turnstiles lets you in. He said, "No, no, I always go gate for." So I'm like, okay, so Jack has some superstition that I don't know about, and more than that, Jack feels like his actions. He's so important that his actions are going to determine the outcome of whether Fulham beat Wolves. <laughs> Look, it works. Is all I'm saying. So right? Jack, I-, I need to know. What is this gate 41? Are you just like superly superstitious about everything or is this just some weird thing about you? No, it was my, it was my granddad's gate. It was the gate. Oh, the granddad it's a lovely in. one. It's um, a lovely so one. So I always try and go through the gate. Like sometimes obviously it's just too packed and like that, that gate's, you know, you can slip in sideways. But yeah, when I can, I go through gate 41 because it was my granddad's gate that he used to. He used to is it like the last gate? No, it's just randomly. The oh, gate. far away is it random from gate. your seat? Like what sort of no 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 it's, it's, it's it doesn't it's, make it's much difference it makes no difference there's like gates 30 to like 45 right. are all in one like long line so it, it doesn't really matter but but we were, da- Sam, we were about all... to walk into the stadium and like jack just suddenly has to go like 10 gates yeah. down to get into the, get in and i'm like and i didn't see him again so this is and i was like yeah so I, that's it i see you this, where i thought this was going was because Jack was scumming his way on a um, junior season ticket for a, for a very long time after he became uh, an adult, I thought uh, maybe the libel cases on this. I thought, thank you very I much. I thought that maybe the um, the gate attendant at forty one would let him through, uh, even though the ticket wasn't right. <laughs> I, think, I genuinely thought that's where he was going. Otherwise, he would have been caught. <laughs> no, I don't think anyone cared enough that much to be honest. But um, yeah, no, Grand forty one was Granddad's gate, so I went through it. Very good. Okay, so that's all cleared up. Love it. Any other superstitions that I need to know about? Um, He's Irish. He's got tons. I've got loads yeah. of superstitions. <laughs> I, I have to salute every time I see a magpie. Um, there's, there's loads of random things. I have to say, morning, Mr. Magpie. How do you feel about salute. odd numbers? And not great. Like, they, I don't like them. Although, I, although, weirdly, my number has always been 7 and 17. So, like, actually, those are my two favorite numbers. So, there yeah. is obviously something. But I can't have, the, I can't have like, the TV on on an odd number mm. like you can't be having that it has to be 16 or 14 on the tv so i'm with you yeah, then. like i'm not great on i'm not great on it but yeah there's a there's a, some certain superstitions so we'll go okay so number two now i don't know that this is necessarily a thing about you but i just need to sh- find out really timings and lateness <laughs> like <laughs> is it now i just get the feeling that to you Time is just a guide. Yes, it's fluid. I work it's on like fluid. Quite, I work on quite like South Italian time. You know, you know things are like if it's if it's quarter past two, like I'll just be I'll turn up at like twenty two minutes past two. It's, I'm very it's bad. Like, at it's timing. roughly an area of time. It's yeah. not like this yeah. begins. This you know, if we were to say a podcast begins at two. Like you might start getting ready for the podcast at two or yeah. live score. We begin record. Yeah, we got to meet in there at, at 1030. Oh, I need to make sure I'm arriving at the station around 1030. Like I get that it's just a, a 
just like oh i need to be in the vicinity yeah it's close vague. to that time, time is vague to me like i don't i don't <laughs> really i don't really kind of work with things that have to be on like secure deadlines if something's within sort of half an hour 15 minutes either side of the intended time i feel like you're probably fine hmm. yeah okay andre vs boas you know, used to stand at the chelsea training ground tapping his watch as the late players walked in we need to get andre vs boas like I don't think me and AVB, life. me and AVB wouldn't have gone that well. I don't think. Like, I'm no. absolutely with you. I take, time is very vague to me. It's sort of like, uh, it, as you say, it's a vague guide of things you should like. I thought so. Around. I thought so. I thought that might be something that I'd seen, and yeah, that listeners would never know about Jack. So I'm, I'm glad I've uncovered that one as well. No, I'm sorry, right, Sam's poetic license, right? Poetic license. Sure, poetic sure. license. Some, sometimes time is relative. Like if you're meeting a friend at tennis, sometimes it's not like if a game kicks off at three. Does that, like, does that ever... Yeah, you're not late for games, are you? That's, well, I'm not as bad anymore, but I used to, <laughs> used to be under the illusion that walking from the Duke of Cornwall to Craven Cottage took 15 minutes when actually that walk is like more like 25 and so we'd often set off for the game at 22 and then be like, that's weird that we missed the first five minutes. I get the feeling last night when we were having a pint, actually, you would have, we were willing to do that last night when yeah, you were looking 100%. to order a pint at 25 past seven and we were <laughs> half an hour from Craven Cottage. Um, <laughs> yeah, agreed, uh, we didn't have agreed. that. He didn't have that pint, so that was fine. They, they, he literally forgot your order and that's probably a good thing. Um, right for the at number one, I don't know this is necessarily a, a big surprise to people, but you might be the nicest person I've ever met. You have you do not speak badly about anyone. You don't you don't seem to hold any envy. You don't seem to spite anyone. You don't seem to I don't know. You just always seem to give people the benefit of the doubt, even if they don't deserve it. And that's Quite a rare quality, almost annoying sometimes <laughs> that I want you to moan about someone and you won't. <laughs> um, but yeah, I think... He's a very positive guy. Just, yeah, he is, yeah. isn't he? He gets excited mm. about stuff, you know? He gets yeah, very like, excited like about Girona stuff. Girona are doing well, let's people. talk about that. Not, and we were like, yeah, it won't last. And he's like, no, they're good. And we're like, won't last. It's two, two different personality types. Where does your optimism come from? Why do like, you like everyone? I don't know. I've always been quite <laughs> it's a peoply. miserable world. I've always been quite peoply. I've always quite liked human beings, which is which is a good thing. Um, but like, I did just sort of make. I think about ten years ago, I made a New Year's resolution that I was just going to be like happier about everything, and I've stuck okay. to it pretty resolutely for a decade because like life just got a bit easier. To be honest, I was like, I just don't need to to scrap. Like it's quite nice. Like I'm just pleased with other people most of the time. It's a, it's a it's a choice. There is a Jack's guide to life. There is, is there's a, book a, in there's this. a Scroobius Pip lyric where he's like, "How hard is it to decide to be in a good mood and then just be in a good mood?" And it's yeah. something that has always stuck with me. And I was like, oh, "It's quite annoying for everyone else, like if you're not in a good mood." <laughs> so, so when I, I'm just like, "Well, if I could just like turn this into something positive, then it's probably for the best, isn't it?" So, yeah, mate, yeah. it's easy. See, life I find life easier with it. Apart from 200 episodes. I don't like time. Yeah. Keepers. Yeah. We all get angry when you're late, but you're all right. It's walking in with a smile on your face and everyone's waiting for you. Hello. 200 episodes of happiness. Exactly. Exactly. That's joy for you. That's joy for you. Oh, that was oh, fun. Yeah. A bit of gibberish. Nice one. Thank you, mate. I appreciate that. That was that was very kind. So thank you very much. And with you're that, welcome. I think it's probably time for us to call it a day. And the so reunion is over. Is a massive thank you to the rank god, Mr. Samtai. Cheers, mate. Thank you very much to our transfer guru, Mr. Dean Jones. Cheers, mate. I've been Jack Collins, Name of Hearts. This has been Ranks FC and our 200th episode on this feed. We hope that you've enjoyed the show today. We will be back with a Champions League takeaway on Wednesday night. And then, of course, there will be an extra episode over on the Patreon as well, where we'll look at the Europa League and forward to the weekend as well. Thank you so much for listening as ever. And we'll see you very shortly, Ranks Squad. Take it easy. Peace. Final seconds of the game. A chance to score and the chance has gone begging. If your business's commerce platform keeps missing the target on golden opportunities, get the MVP you deserve. Get Shopify. <coughs> Shopify is the commerce platform revolutionizing millions of businesses worldwide. 
Whether you're a garage entrepreneur or IPO ready, Shopify is the only tool that you need to start, run, and grow your business without the struggle. Shopify puts you in control of every sales channel. So whether you're selling signed football boots from Shopify's in-person POS system or you're vending vintage shirts on Shopify's all-in-one e-commerce platform, you are covered. And once you've reached your audience, Shopify has the internet's best converting checkout to help you turn them from browsers to buyers. What I love about Shopify is how, no matter how big you want to grow, Shopify gives you everything you need to take control and take your business to the next level. Shopify powers 10% of all e-commerce in the US. And Shopify is truly a global force, powering Allbirds, Rothy's, and Brooklinen, and millions of other entrepreneurs of every size across over 170 countries. Plus, Shopify's award-winning help is there to support your success every step of the way. This is Possibility, powered by Shopify. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash ranks, all lowercase. Go to shopify.com forward slash ranks to take your business to the next level today. That's shopify.com slash ranks.